In philosophy, there's a model called Occam's Razor that says when you're trying to solve a problem or to figure out why something happened, that it's best to search for the explanation that requires the fewest number of assumptions. It's the model that says all things being pretty much equal, the solution with the fewest elements is probably the right one. Critics of Occam's razor, though, say that it's a conservative mental model, which can prevent people from exploring more complex and interesting solutions. After all, real life and real people are messy and illogical, and the simplest, most mathematically elegant solution might not be the right one. So today, I want to explore a messier theory. And that's the one that says that Jim Thompson was murdered or kidnapped on that Easter Sunday in 1967. Like I said in the pilot episode, the day that Jim vanished, he wasn't totally himself. After attending Easter service, he and his friends had gone on a picnic. But when they got back to the Moonlight Bungalow to pick up the food, Jim tried to talk everyone out of the excursion. He just wanted to eat in the yard. Now, it's totally possible that Jim did not want to drive the 40 minutes one way to get to the picnic spot. I'm frankly not sure that I would want to drive that far either. But trying to ditch the trip doesn't explain why throughout the meal, Jim just seemed eager to go home. While his friends were happy to languish in the midday sun, drinking drinks, eating food, Jim refused the beers that were offered to him saying that he no longer liked to drink in the middle of the day, and he actually started packing up all the plates early to rush the group back home. And it's these details from that day that have troubled a lot of people. Many now in retrospect wonder if Jim didn't have a secret appointment that afternoon that he was afraid of being late for, or that maybe he was just worried about. And remember that while the rest of his friends retired to their rooms for a nap, Jim was the only one who didn't even try to lay down. His bedsheets had never been disturbed. So, to help us get into this messier theory, we're going to talk today to Barry Broman, who spent most of his 30-year career in CIA running operations in Thailand and in Burma. In 2017, he went public with new information that says that Jim Thompson did not die in the jungle on a hike like Occam's razor might suggest, but rather that Jim was killed for political purposes. Broman's theory is a sordid tale of clandestine meetings and deathbed confessions peppered in with fascinating lessons in Southeast Asian politics and history. And it was a conversation that I did not want to miss. From 13 Media, I'm Trisha Jenkins, and this is Worldwide, The Disappearance of the Thai Silk King. The idea that Jim met up with somebody and was then either kidnapped or killed by them was a popular theory at the time. In fact, the police originally wondered if Jim hadn't been kidnapped for ransom by a local gang. The kidnapping of wealthy Chinese visitors was a somewhat common practice in the region, but a hefty ransom request always followed the kidnapping. And in Jim's case, no ransom was ever asked for by anyone, even though Jim and Jim's family were millionaires. 
The fact that no one came forward asking for a ransom is perhaps the strongest point in favor of the idea that if Jim had been kidnapped, that it was probably for political reasons. I mean, among run-of-the-mill criminals, money's usually the primary motivation for the crime. But for the political revolutionary, money's a secondary concern. And even though he had retired from the OSS in 47, a lot of people suspected that Jim was still involved in politics, working as a sort of unofficial helper for the CIA. In fact, CIA archives contain a memo noting that Jim had officially retired from the agency, but the last line of the memo is redacted, something that the agency usually does to protect the identity of an ongoing operation or asset. I talked to a few CIA officers I know off the record, and they suggested that that redaction was there, most likely to protect the fact that Jim had agreed to continue to help the agency in an unofficial capacity. So our story starts today with Barry Broman, who spent decades running covert operations in Southeast Asia for the agency, including those in Thailand and Burma. And it was through these operations that Broman developed a vast network of friends and assets connected to the Thai government, its army, its police, and the country's wealthy business owners. And one of those connections would prove instrumental in unearthing new evidence about the Thompson case. That man's name was Noy. Noy is actually his nickname, but that's how Barry refers to him. He's a wealthy businessman in Thailand who sells jet aircraft, owns property, a pearl business, and no joke, owns islands. He's an interesting guy to say the least, and he's long been connected with the CIA. He and his father were involved in civic action projects involving the Hmong and operations in Laos. According to Barry, about 10 years ago, Noi called him up to let him know that he had just met a man named Tail Pin, whose uncle had recently confessed to his nephew, near the end of his life, that he and the local Communist Party in the Cameron Highlands were actually responsible for the death of Jim Thompson. Broman, of course, wanted to meet Tailpin directly. And this is how he summarizes what he learned during their visit. Tailpin's a Singaporean businessman. So I went down to Singapore and I met a very charming guy, articulate, educated. And I said, what happened to Jim? So it was Tailpin that said through his uncle, who was a senior member of the Malay Communist Party, MCP, that Jim, Jim was killed. The Cameron Highlands had been a, a stronghold of the Malayan Communist Party dating back to World War II. And Chin Peng had fought against the Japanese in World War II with the British. And at the end of the war, he was given OBE by Prince Philip, OBE, Order of the British Empire. It's a big deal. But Chin Peng still was a communist and went into what the British called the emergency. If you haven't heard about the emergency, don't feel bad. I actually wasn't sure what that term referred to either. But it's a phrase that refers to the guerrilla war that broke out between the British colonial forces who were trying to maintain their presence in Malaysia and the communist freedom fighters who wanted to oust the British so that they could form their own independent country. While the Malay communist uprising was not successful, The fighting was incredibly intense, 
especially in the 1940s and 50s, and especially in the Cameron Highlands. And it's in this war that Chin Peng, who is fighting for the communist, essentially loses his favor with the British, and he becomes their enemy number one. And now, fast forward to the 1960s. By 1967, Chin Peng was still the head of the Communist Party, and he was the most wanted man in, in Malaya, now Malaysia. So Theo Pin told me that Jim had come down to the Cameron Highlands on vacation, and he started asking around to see Chin Peng. Well, this is, you know, this was very sensitive because Chin Peng was, you know, the most wanted man. In fact, Broman says that Chin Peng was so wanted that he had actually fled Malaysia and was essentially hiding in China. But Jim didn't know this at the time. And so when he started putting out feelers about possibly meeting up with Chin Peng, the local Communist Party in the Cameron Highlands started asking, uh, who the hell is this Jim Thompson? And according to both Broman and Tail Pin, the party quickly figured out that Jim was a senior and quite important man back in his days in the OSS. And many, including the local party, suspected that he was still working for the CIA. And that meant that Jim was a British ally. And now here he is on vacation asking to meet up with Britain's number one enemy, which, to say the least, caused some suspicion in the area. They knew that Chang Peng wasn't there. They wanted to know more about Jim. They think that he was CIA. And they had to make a decision. They didn't have radios. They had couriers, mostly young women. And it took a long time to get a message anywhere because they were in different cells all over the country. And so the local communists up in the Cameron Highlands had to make a decision of what to do about Jim Thompson. They said, well, look, we'll kill him because they suspected he was CIA and the right operation to capture Chin Ping. The uncle on his deathbed told him they'll never find the body. He was buried somewhere up in the Cameron Highlands. Tailpin agreed to appear in Broman's short film called Who Killed Jim Thompson, which can be seen on YouTube. I've included a few clips of the film here, which feature Tailpin talking about how almost everyone who was locally employed at the Moonlight Bungalow was a member of the Communist Party and able to spy on foreigners like Jim who stayed at the retreat. According to my uncle, his words, I can still remember the gardener, the newspaper man, the vegetable seller, they are all our people. I say, what do you mean by our people? The party people. They kept wondering why he wanted to see Chin Peng. Apparently, he didn't give a reason for it. And that was what probably made them more suspicious. And I say, what happened then? And that's, to use his words, we had to eliminate him. So Broman now is intrigued, to say the least. But because he used to work for the Associated Press, he wasn't comfortable going public with the information until he had met the journalistic standard of finding a second source to at least somewhat corroborate Tailpin's story. And Tailpin's story still had a major hole in it. 
It didn't explain why Jim ever wanted to meet Chen Peng in the first place. I told Noi, this is good, but I need another source. So another year or two went by, and then Noi called me again and says, I've got a second source. And that second source was Billy Bird, or Billy Jr. He was the son of Willis Bird Sr., who had worked with Jim in the OSS in Thailand. Like Jim, Willis Bird Sr. had stayed in Bangkok after the war and settled down. He married an affluent Thai woman, started his own business, had a family. But unlike Jim, Willis Bird Sr. did not retire from the OSS. Instead, he went on to continue to work for the CIA in the region. So Billy, who's American Thai, lives up in Chiang Mai, is a friend of Noi. And Billy told Noi that Jim Thompson was invited or had been asked by Predi, who was in exile in China, to meet him. And the initial invitation was to Willis Byrd. But Willis Byrd was very much involved with the CIA, the war in, in Vietnam, and the Thai army, was not interested. Didn't want to risk going to China to see Pre D in 1967 at the height of the Vietnam War. So he told Jim Thompson about this. And Jim said, I'll go. I'm not involved in the war. I don't support the war. But I do want to help Pre D. So if you remember from a previous episode, when Peter Herkos, the famous psychic celebrity, did his performative seance trying to locate Jim, he said that he saw visions of somebody named Bebe or Prebi coming up the road to meet Jim at the Moonlight Bungalow. Later, when his assistant, Stephanie Farb, transcribed that seance, she reported that Herkos had clearly said the name Preeti. And that's because people, by the time Stephanie went to transcribe the report, had been discussing Preeti as a possible factor in Jim's disappearance. So, who exactly is Preeti? During his time as an officer in the OSS, Jim, according to intelligence records, worked closely with a Thai politician named Preeti. He was the leader of a group devoted to thwarting or ousting the Japanese during their occupation of Thailand in World War II. The intelligence records show that Jim secretly ran weapons to assist in Preeti's mission. And Jim and Preeti eventually developed a close friendship. And it's that friendship that becomes important to this episode. Because Preeti became Thailand's prime minister for just a short six months in 1946. During that time, he worked to reform Thai political culture to make it more democratic and less reliant on the monarchy, making him a somewhat favored ally of the United States. Preeti, however, had a very long-standing enemy. He was a rival leader named Piboon. And Piboon was a right-wing authoritarian who had closely aligned himself with the Japanese during the war. Many historians now believe that Piboon devised a devious plan to remove Preeti from power. That plan involved the assassination of Thailand's sitting king, Rama VIII, who one night was found mysteriously murdered, shot, dead in his bed in the royal residence. Although it's never been proven, 
Some historians speculate that P. Boone may have been responsible for organizing the king's death. But P. Boone publicly implied that it was Pre D, who admittedly was never a fan of the monarchy, who was responsible for the king's assassination. And P. Boone convinced enough people that that was true that Pre D was ousted from the country in a 1947 coup. Predi, of course, didn't want to go quietly, and he attempted his own counter-coup to reclaim his power two years later. But that coup? It failed. And Predi was forced into exile in China. He lived there until 1970, three years after Jim Thompson went missing. In 1970, Predi eventually moved to France, where he lived out the rest of his life. And Broman believes that if Tailpin and Billy Bird are correct, Predee may have reached out to Willis Bird Sr. and then later Jim Thompson to see if he couldn't get their help to get out of China and to get into Western Europe, possibly with the help of U.S. intelligence. A large chunk of this theory rests on a conversation that Billy Bird Jr. says that he remembers as a teenager when he overheard his father discussing Predee's situation with Jim. And Broman thinks that this conversation may explain why Jim went to the Cameron Highlands inquiring about Chin Peng. In other words, Broman thinks that it's possible that Jim thought he could act as sort of a middleman between the U.S. and Predi and China and maybe even France, but that he couldn't get to Predi directly in China. So for some reason, he had to start his mission in the Cameron Highlands, a communist stronghold in Malaysia. This is a short clip from Broman's film that features Billy Bird talking about the conversation that he remembered overhearing between his father and Jim. Jim, believe that Freedy is a friend of the United States. When a friend calls for something, you run. You don't question. Because those are normally our agreement within the fraternal among friends. We believe that the Communist Party of Malaya at that time came to meet with Jim. Jim had the appointment with them. That's why he went there. And that's why he was so nervous throughout the trip. He couldn't sleep at night. He was thinking about how he would talk to them. But from how this thing turned out, absolutely he was just kidnapped right from the spot. That yes, he had the, the meeting with them, but they had other ideas. I should say here that Billy Bird also says that his father later came to believe that it was the Chinese communist in Malaysia who met Jim so that he could be taken by boat to Cambodia secretly to meet with Preeti. But that something obviously went horribly wrong and they didn't honor their end of the deal. This is a major difference between Bird's and Tailpin's uncle's story. Tailpin's uncle says that Jim was murdered by the local Cameron Highlands Communist Party for inquiring about Chin Peng, while Bird's father suggested that Jim had probably gone willingly with members of the Communist Party to be taken to Cambodia. Despite these differences, the information relayed by Billy Bird Jr. and Noi and Tailpin 
are exciting because their stories are essentially the first new pieces of information to have emerged in the case of Jim Thompson in several decades. And Broman's theory does pair with some evidence in the case, like why Jim might not have wanted to go on the picnic, especially if he had a meeting that he was afraid of missing. And remember from our previous episode, the police dogs that were used in the original search for Jim? They picked up a scent trail that stopped at the end of the property, suggesting that Jim did not go on a walk, but perhaps did get into a car and drive down the gravel road. But like everything in the Jim Thompson case, Broman's theory also has some missing puzzle pieces. One of the things that bothers me about this story, for instance, is that if Jim was going to go meet with local Communist Party officials and potentially travel to Cambodia with them, why didn't he bring his jacket, or his medication, or even his cigarettes? And why did nobody hear a car coming up the gravel road, or a second set of footsteps, or even other voices? The theory laid out in Broman's film also raises a set of questions, because it's at odds with other facts in the case. For one, Tailpin's uncle says that he, or maybe another member of the Communist Party, had Jim under surveillance at the Moonlight Bungalow for one to two weeks before deciding to kill Jim. But the fact is, is that Jim only arrived at the Moonlight Bungalow on Friday, and he disappeared on Sunday, meaning that he was only ever in the Cameron Highlands for two and a half days before he disappeared. When I asked Barry about this inconsistency, this is what he had to say. Jim went down there a lot. They may, may have been looking at him on earlier trips, but on that trip when he, he tried to contact Chen Peng, I think that they were already on to him because people that were working in the cottage were members of the Communist Party. It might also be possible that Jim had put out some feelers somehow to the Communist Party members in the Cameron Highlands before he arrived. And so party members may have been alerted to the fact that Jim was coming to the area and started staking out the bungalow, waiting for Jim to come. The other thing that also bothers me, though, is the idea that Jim would even ask local party members of the Cameron Highlands for help. Doesn't seem in line with Jim's training and intelligence. And this part of the story admittedly bothers both Barry Broman and Lou Tumlin, too. Lou, in a recent article published in 2023, writes that both Predi and Jim were highly experienced in intelligence work. So the initial invitation from Predi to Willis Bird Sr. and then later to Jim Thompson would have almost certainly had clear instructions on how to keep a communication channel open, how to arrange a future meeting, and also how to use careful operational security measures to keep all of the arrangements super secret. So why would Jim reach out to low-level unknown communist in central Malaysia in a very dangerous manner in order to somehow help his friend Predi? Broman admits that he has similar concerns and that the theory has holes in it, but he still believes that his sources are accurate. So you can see why the Jim Thompson case is so fascinating to so many people, including me. I go back and forth on it all the time. Jim, I sometimes think, was clearly just lost in the jungle and met an untimely fate. But then I think about all of the holes in that scenario 
and I start to contemplate the political assassination theory. And that theory starts to make sense to me too. But then I think about the holes in that theory and then I'm back to square one. And it just keeps getting worse. We're gonna look at two final disturbing developments that happened after Jim went missing. A second Thompson family murder and a sighting of Jim in Tahiti by one of his good friends. We'll also close out the series by looking at the legacy of Jim Thompson, his home that has now become one of the most popular tourist attractions in Bangkok, and the silk company that still sells high-quality goods and bears his name today. If you would like to watch Barry Broman's film called Who Killed Jim Thompson?, which features interviews with both Willis Bird Jr. and Tailpin, you can find it on YouTube. Likewise, if you'd like to read Lou Tumlin's assessment of the political assassination theory, you can find his three-part article online. Both Broman's film and Lou's articles are linked in this episode's show notes. <laughs> 